holidays before I get this privilege, but it really, really is a great opportunity. But can you believe it's halfway through January already? Time flies, doesn't it? I, I'm 38 and a half now, and I, and I had a lot of goals in my life that I thought I would have achieved by now, but uh, some of them haven't come to fruition. I've always wanted to be able to hula hoop. You know, you put it on and you hula hoop, and some of you know I work a lot with kids. I'm a pastor at Scarborough Baptist Church, but I, I spend a lot of my time outreaching to kids and, and their families, and uh, the last couple of years I've put out the challenge because I'm so desperate to be able to hula hoop that I've offered the kids 10 bucks. If they can teach me to hula hoop, then uh, they get themselves $10 reward. But uh, for the last three years, they've been trying and, and it hasn't succeeded. So being a new year, I amped it up a bit and I said, last week, 20 bucks. It's up to 20 bucks. I had every man and his dog, so to speak, in terms of kids, trying to teach me last week. And they say, no, put your left foot forward, put your right foot forward, no, do this, go anti-clockwise. And then all these types of things, as soon as I put it on, straight to the ground. I don't know if it's because I haven't got woman's hips or something, but it just is, it does not happen. That is something I've always wanted to do all my life. Another thing is, you know how when you ride a bike as a kid, um, some people just seem to have a gift. And, you know, I, I was all right at riding a bike, but some people just, you know, they put their hands behind the back, they pedal, they can go around corners without even touching the handlebars. I've always wanted to just ride, even for a short period of time, for here to the end of the, the hall, without being... But as soon as I do that, boom, either fall straight off or I've got to grab the handlebars straight away. I just do not have the balance and coordination, which is really weird because I'm trying this year to try and start drumming, so that should be interesting. But that's, that's something I have, it's just impossible. I've always wanted to do a cartwheel, but I can't do a cartwheel. I've been practicing and practicing. My daughters have been trying to teach me, but I just find it impossible. I also, I don't know about you, but peanut M&Ms, if they're in the cupboard at home, I'm fine. But as soon as they're ripped open, I just cannot take one peanut M&M. I can't stop. I just keep it. It is impossible for me to stop at just one peanut M&M. Hands up, hands up if you can ride a bike with no hands. Oh, you show offs. How, hands up if you can hula hoop. Hands up if, you, if I put one peanut M&M in your mouth, you could stop at that. Not many, not many. But there are a few things that scientists and researchers tell us that, you know, I may be uncoordinated, but all of us as humans, it's impossible for us to do. First thing they say is you cannot lick your elbow. You want to try now? See if you can... Come on. Oh, we got one brave soul. Doesn't matter, unless you're ampy... Well, not ambidextrous, what are they called? Where you can dislocate your shoulder and you might be able to do it. But you can't lick your elbow. You cannot sneeze with your eyes remaining open. Did you know that? As soon as you sneeze, your eyes automatically shut. Next time you're about to sneeze, try and keep your eyes open. I bet you can't do it. Another thing they say is you cannot write the number six whilst rotating your foot in a clockwise direction. Did you know that? Try and do it now. Pretend your finger finger is a pen. Come on, people. Let's liven up a bit. Try and write the number six whilst rotating your foot in a clockwise direction. See if you can do it. Clockwise is going this way, to your, to your right. My wife is shaking her head or nodding her head saying, I can do it easy. I, I can't do it. I was even practicing this morning. Well, clockwise is that way, isn't it? And I thought, I'll just leave this for about 10 seconds and then I'll try and do it. And as soon as I do it, boom, kicks into anti-clockwise. I don't know what it is. They say that it is impossible for us to do that. The other thing is you cannot tickle yourself. Now, some people seem to be ticklish. Other people seem to be, it's pretty hard to tickle them. But normally most of us, if we get tickled in the right spot, we 
we laugh, don't we? But you cannot tickle yourself, even if you're the most ticklish person under the sun. Apparently, you know it's coming, so you brace yourself. So even if you, anyone else touches you there, you'd be laughing your head off. But you do it, you cannot tickle yourself. It's physically, scientifically impossible for us to tickle ourselves. Did you know that? You're learning some new stuff here today, eh? You thought you might learn about the Bible, but... So today we're going to look at stuff that is impossible. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 52, and we're going to see how that actually relates to our life. Mark 6, 30 to 52. We're going to look at the supper for the 5,000, and we're also going to look at Jesus walking on the sea. Now, um, some of you got your Bibles. I'm actually going to read from the Message Translation. If you've heard me before, I love the Message Translation. I think it's brilliant. And so if you don't have the message with you, it might be easier for you just to follow along, but please listen up. Mark 6, we're starting at verse 30 and going through to verse 52. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all that they had done and taught. Jesus says, come off by yourselves, let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was a constant coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. So they got in their boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. Someone saw them going and the word got around. From the surrounding towns, people went on foot, running, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd, and at the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were, he went right to work teaching them. When his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted, We're a long way out in the country, and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so they can get some supper. Jesus says, you do it. Fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. That didn't take long. Five, they said. Plus we've got two fish. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples in turn gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at the supper. And we move on to walking on the sea. As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida while he dismissed the congregation. After sending them off, he climbed the mountain to pray. Late at night, the boat was far out at sea. Jesus was still by himself on land. He could see his men struggling with the oars, the wind having come up against them. And about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea. He intended to go right by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and screamed, scared out of their wits. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. As soon as he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They were stunned, shaking their heads, wondering what was going on. They didn't understand what he had done at the supper. None of this had yet penetrated their hearts. So if you look back in chapter 6, Basically, Jesus, or before that, Jesus prepared his disciples and then he'd sent them out two by two. This was the first time where they'd gone out and done ministry on their own. And this was the time where, like there's a little story about John the Baptist in between, but this was the time where the disciples came back to Jesus and they wanted to debrief. But it was all crazy. It was like a 
fast food McDonald's outlet going crazy and it was just people everywhere and they just couldn't they didn't get time to eat at McDonald's they didn't have anything so he said let's come over here let's go off for a little bit of a retreat let's let's take time to debrief because it's too crazy over there so this this is where it's all set out so they'd already been sent out and <coughs> these disciples then experienced this even though they didn't get the time for the retreat they experienced this wonderful miracle this impossible feat that had just had happened where Jesus took these loaves and everyone, 5,000 people, and some, there's a bit of debate whether that was way more because I only counted men in those days, and, but they all ate. So they'd experienced this miracle. And then they got out on the boat and the winds come up and they couldn't, and they see Jesus walking alongside and they are scared, as the Bible said, out of their wits. And he, as we read, it says, courage, it's me, or in other versions, it is I, do not be afraid. And at the end of where we just read, it says, and as I've talked about before when I have been here before, when you read a passage in the Bible and all of a sudden, you know how like we read or Shakespeare or some play and you've got a narrator and all of a sudden the narrator kicks in and we hear some little bit from the narrator. It's not actually Jesus talking. It's not the disciples talking. we really got to take note of that because that's an important part. If, if the writer, and in this case Mark, jumps out of the story and gives us a little bit of narration that's something key that he wants us to look at so right at the end in verse 52 it says they didn't understand what had done at, he had done at the supper none of this had yet penetrated their hearts and if you look to it in the original in the greek it says because they didn't understand about the loaves certainly their inner being was unwilling to learn here was these guys that had spent years with him as in a few years they'd gone out and done ministry and yet still, their inner being was unwilling to learn. You would think because they've experienced all these miracles, it wouldn't be that big a surprise that when Jesus comes along the water or that big a surprise when he cracks open some loaves and some fish. But they still didn't get it because of the way in which they, the way in which we are wired. We are wired in a broken capacity. And it's sort of... The, the babushka effect and I've left my babushka doll down here so bear with me for a couple of seconds sorry if I go back up the middle it might not very good sound guys turn it down I think anyway do you know what a babushka doll is a babushka doll is one of those Russian dolls where you crack open the first doll and there's another doll inside and then you open that doll and there's another little doll and, and so on and so on and the thing is with the babushka effect or this babushka wiring that we've got going on, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they broke perfect humanity, we all were broke. We were all broken. So basically, they're, like, they're travelling on a bus and we're on the bus. We're inside of them. And when they go off the cliff and get crashed down the bottom on the bottom of the cliffs and there's fire and there's broken limbs and all of a sudden they can lick their elbows but there's a lot of blood then we all as humanity, all as humans, were broken with them. The babushka effect means it wasn't just them. We would have done exactly the same thing. But the generations upon generations upon generations upon generations afterwards, if you took them all out and you had more and more dolls and we could spread it all along the hall, then they come into this world broken. We are broken people. My daughters are beautiful and I love them to death, but we, as my wife and I, didn't have to teach them how to do the wrong thing. At the age of two, you could just see it. 
It just was innate within them that they were broken and they were selfish just like their mum and dad and just like everybody else here. You don't need to teach people. We are just innately broken. And that in the first Adam, we as humans all become broke or broken if I'm probably not using the right grammar (laughs) or words. But you know what I mean. And so when we come to God, we think this is a really good thing, and it is, but we come to God either out of fear or out of what we can get. We're like the disciples on the waves or like the people who want to be fed. We come to God and we think this is a massive thing and this is badge of honour that is our faith, but it still comes out of our babushka brokenness. We come to God in a selfish way. Because we're scared and we just need him, so we latch onto him, or we actually want something from him. And so, the, nothing at all within us is pure. There's nothing in us that is holy or divine. The way we do religion isn't a badge of honour. It's 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 something different. It's it's the second Adam, as Paul talks about. It's when Jesus, like we talked about how when Adam and Eve fell, then we all fell with them. When Jesus went up on the cross and he died and was raised again, the babushka happened in reverse. So all the little dolls went into, into and then the big doll at the end is Jesus. And he took all our brokenness, all our dodgy wiring, all our selfishness, all of our self-absorption, continually focusing on ourselves, And he broke the mould. We aren't faithful people. We're faithful because he was faithful. There's nothing in us that is loving. We are loving because he is loving. We trust because he trusted. Jesus was the only human to actually come to God because of who God is. Jesus was the only human all about the other. And that's what God is. God is all about the other. He created us because he's about the other. We are broken in the Adam Babushka cycle because we're all about ourselves. He didn't come to God because he was scared. He didn't come to God because he wanted something from God. He came to God as a human because he loved who God is. And miraculously, the impossible happened. We are now in Christ. We have been taken up and now we can start to see this God because of Jesus, because of who God is. He points us back to him. Now it's hard because we live in a broken world where we can still get sick, we can still drive off today and be in a car accident, we can still have bad news. We, we live in a world where the shards of brokenness are constantly around us. And if you're an eternal optimist, you haven't got too far in this world because the broken shards are going to eventually dig in. And so Paul knows that we still are broken in and of ourselves, but in Jesus we have been made pure and holy. And so we live in this now and not yet sort of in-between sort of land, which is pretty hard. And so Paul, 
and being, if you know the story of Saul and then Paul, he knows the depravity, the depravedness, the broken wiring that is humanity. And he knows it so well that he wants to... We're not reading from Paul today, but he wants to continually remind us. 134 times in his writing, he talks about us being in Christ. He wants us to get the point that it's not about us. It is all about the other. We have been made perfect in Jesus. We have been made faithful and loving and trusting in Jesus, not in our own broken little babushka capacities. And so... We're in this sort of wasteland or this brokenness, this time in between. And if we were left to our own devices, we would just go the wrong way every single time because we are still broken. Jesus took on the brokenness of us so much so that we just kept on living as if nothing changed. So we are now in Christ and broken in and of ourselves. And if we were left just in this broken time, we would go the wrong way 101% out of 100. Because that's the way we are broken. So, but Jesus doesn't do that. We learnt today. Where are we? In Theology 101. I can't see our leader. <laughs> Up the back. Sorry, I forgot your name. Fran. Fran taught us about Theology 101. The Spirit of Jesus is with us. Always, we as Christians, we have his spirit with us. The spirit that was with Jesus when he created, the spirit that was in Jesus when he died, the spirit that rose him to life, the spirit that helped him perform these miracles, we have within us. That's amazing, isn't it? You should be leaping off your chairs because it's exactly the same. It's huge. Yet, we... A lot of times, and I don't know you that well, so I don't want to generalise, but we, a lot of times, become Christians, and it's great, and, you know, we have our ticket to heaven. But in the meantime, we play this little safe game. We have this spirit within us that's performed these wondrous, huge creation and resurrection and all this stuff, yet, do we actually expect something of Jesus? Do we live our lives in expectation or is it just this, you know, yeah, eventually we'll get to heaven and we do come together on Sunday and we sing and pray. Do we actually risk? And a lot of times we don't. Because we're broken, we don't want to risk. We want to be in control. If we were to risk and it and Jesus didn't come through with our expectations, then we'd be left with egg on our face. We'd be left disappointed. And so a lot of times, we may be Christians and we may believe and we may be getting into heaven and that's, that's all really, really, really good stuff. But do we live our lives in a way where we actually, in our day-to-day, expect something of Jesus? Or do we go through life, as Christians, sort of risk-free? Sorry, I'm kicking my babushka dolls everywhere. Now, we may pray to God and we may risk and we may end up with egg in our face and there may be some times where in life we're just called to carry our cross. Now, we talked about this morning that We've got a new cross here. And some, some crosses are light. 
I've had a pretty easy, cruisy life. At the moment, and knock on wood on the cross, and we'll stay that way, but other people, it's like the giant cross that you talked about before, you need a trolley and two men to get it up the steps, and it's huge. And, and for some reason, although we expect something, we may expect something of Jesus, we may just be called to carry that cross through life. But the wonderful thing is Jesus has given us his spirit to help us bear that. He has given us his spirit which comes together in a church for us to encourage one another, to hold one another, even carry one another as we go through this middle time until Jesus comes back. And in other times, for some bizarre reason, the new breaks into this existing old and we see something that is going to be eventually forever. We, say, we see people healed and we see the miracles happen. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it's going to be. But in the meantime, God calls us to still live life on the edge. To expect something from him. Not just to tick it off our list. We are Christians and it doesn't really have any real bearing on our lives. He wants us to step up and lean on him. Not be controlled by our little wiring inside and be in control and really just, it's just a ticket to heaven but in the meantime it doesn't make much difference whatsoever. He wants us to risk and risk abundantly and expect something from him and when it doesn't happen we encourage one another through his spirit and when it does we shout hallelujah and expect some more he says take courage it is I do not be afraid amen let's, let's uh, pray together dear Lord thank you that you are God who is all about the other. You are the complete opposite to ours, us. We're all about ourselves and for that we, we say sorry collectively today, Lord. And uh, we also say sorry for the times where we haven't lent on you, we haven't risked with you, we haven't expected anything from you. We've just gone about our day and our lives merely as if, as if you don't exist. We pray that you will open our ears and our eyes to what you're trying to say to us through your word today, Lord, and it not be the end of a conversation, but of a start of how we, as a church, can risk together. We can be bold and we can learn to lean on you and expect more from you, Lord, and await you with miracles that will break through and be signs and markers of, of something that we long for forever, Lord. The word Maranatha says... Come, Lord Jesus, and we ask that to happen. But in the meantime, we would love to lean on you more, expect more from you, and be surprised by you. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to see how much you love us, what you've done for us. Amen.